They say that the other side is corrupt, that they have no values, morals, or ethics. They say they are impossible to communicate with, that they only care about price, money, and themselves. I disagree. I believe everyone's intention is to cooperate, and we all have the means to create greater harmonies together. My name is Gene Xu, and my job is to help you master your instruments of influence. Each week, I seek out individuals who have faced and embraced the complexities of doing business across cultures. People who have discovered that thinking differently is the key to unlocking positive outcomes and greater success. Join me on this mission to explore the impactful nuances of culture across the deepest levels of awareness. Okay, so Michael, uh, it's great to see you again. Great to be here. Um, Michael dropped by today and we thought that we would uh, have a discussion about his experiences in China. So I'm just gonna let Michael introduce himself and we'll go from there. All right, well, I'm Michael P. Toothman. I am a educator, a public speaker, a writer, and an expert on project management. Uh, for the last four years, my passion has been China. I'm very active in Chinese social media, where I'm considered a key opinion leader. Uh, and I work with companies in China uh, to facilitate the communication between them and the West uh, for business needs. Um, using simple business tools such as project management, agile, lean thinking, but also really focusing on cross-cultural communication, which is why I'm glad to be talking with you today. Yeah, so let's let's start a little bit at the beginning. You said you've been, you've obviously been doing project management for most of your professional life. 18 years. 18 years. Uh, when did China enter your, the picture of your professional life? Well, you said four years ago. Yeah, about five years ago, I started getting more and more students from mainland China. And I realized I had to connect with them in a different way. Uh, because, you know, it's the normal American style of education is very, very different from the Chinese style. Yes. And I, I see other instructors where they would just, you know, do it their typical way and they would kind of leave the students behind. Mm -hmm. And I wanted my Chinese students to be just as engaged in my courses as the Americans. And so it's been a great educational experience for me because by reaching to them, reaching them, I've made the class better for everyone. Now, how, how long have you been teaching? 15 years. In fact, I'm getting ready to start uh, my 15th year at University of California, Riverside. Wow, 15 years. And, but it was only five years ago that you started having more Chinese students, or it's only five years ago that you started discovering they had different needs to help enhance the class? About 2008, I started getting one or two Chinese students, Okay. but uh, my university has been having over the years a major push in bringing in students from mainland China, and okay. so now I typically have 10 to 12, some of my classes are almost 50% mainland Chinese students. Now, you said uh, UC Riverside made a push to bring in more Chinese yes. students, because yes. my understanding is that Chinese students are always looking for opportunities to come to America for higher education. And it's almost like if you're willing to accept them, they'll come. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I think they're a great asset. Uh, I really enjoy their perspective and the way they look at the world. And, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of things in my classes to further the cross-cultural communication. Okay. For example, 
when I first started teaching uh, with a large number of Chinese students, they would typically sit in the back of the room. You know, they have their laptops up, and they'd be on WeChat, and they would speak Chinese, and they wouldn't meet anyone. But now in my classes, all my classes, it's a requirement to sit with somebody different every single time, and you're not allowed to sit with anybody from your home country. Okay. And so what happens is my students are all meeting Western students. They're meeting, uh, you know, business people, making strong connections, developing their LinkedIn accounts a little bit, uh, learning more about Americans. And Americans are kind of getting out of their little comfort zone and learning about China. Now, this is not a UC Riverside policy. No, that's a Michael P. Toothman. <laughs> that's something that you, you and when did you start doing that? I started doing that about three years ago, and it's been great success. Because like I said, you'd walk into a classroom and you'd have all these little fiefdoms. You'd have the Chinese sitting in the back on, with their laptops and you have the Germans over here, the French were over there, the Americans are filtered in the back, you know, like all good Americans sit in the back and relax and get on your phone and do your email. Uh, and I just wasn't having that. That was no way to run a classroom. So everybody is required to meet somebody new, add to their contacts, and I've really ramped it up over the last year or two. We're all wandering through class and say, tell me about your classmate here. Mm. So now they have to actually talk to each other and share a little bit about their lives. And it's been, it's been fantastic. Uh, my yeah. Chinese students have really, really gravitated toward that. And they still communicate with a lot of their American classmates. Now, it sounds like, uh, it sounds like there's a lot of international students Yes, depending on the class that I'm teaching, I may have 50 to 60% international students, and depending on the quarter. Fall quarter is about to start, and this is our biggest quarter for international students. Okay, and uh, what are the courses that you, you mainly teach? I, I teach project management courses, I teach leadership courses. In fact, my, my leadership classes are probably my magnum opus class. This is really where I get the most people, and I it's a transformational experience for all the students, not just the Chinese. It's uh, how I run the class and what I teach is typically different than the HR-centered leadership classes that we've all taken, you know, compliance and having how to have a good meeting, uh, communication, things like that. I teach a different curriculum. Okay, and, and the classes that you teach, they're part of the business school at... Uh... It's part of... Um, my focus is on project management, so it's all part of our uh, specialized certificate program in project management. Okay, and then the leadership, how about the leadership course? Leadership is part of that, but it's also, I have, you know, my leadership class, and my introduction to project management is an elective for most of the other certificate programs. Uh, and so I have a lot of people who, you know, they're taking it because it was part of their curriculum and they fall in love with leadership and they fall in love with international project management, which is kind of my plan. Okay. Um, is, there, is there such a course as international project management or kind of global project management or is project management kind of just more you have to get PMP certified and you just have to learn project management? Well, project management by definition is really international. It's just... Uh, some people think it's sort of an arcane science, but in reality, it's just the science of execution. Right. And, you know, we have so many business leaders in this world, both on the Chinese side and the American side, who are excellent planners, but they can't take their plan to fruition. Hmm. And that's why you need project managers, because we, we convert strategy into action. 
-hmm. And so what I teach really is international project management, you know, because you're trying to understand the culture of your company and the culture of your customer and the culture of your country. All those weigh into how you can execute more effectively. Mm, Okay. So let's get back uh, more specifically to, so you you have a lot of international students, but uh, it sounds like you were really kind of driven or motivated by the way that the Chinese students typically kind of congregated or grouped together or didn't participate, that you even kind of really wanted to do something more to help that group of students, like right. as opposed to saying the, the students from Germany. Well, the students from Germany, it's a different educational culture. In, in China, you don't have a lot of classroom interaction with the instructor. Right. Uh, it's typically one-way communication. You sit there and you absorb the information. Right. And I'm very big in collaboration. I want to know what people think. And in fact, after the first class, I always have a meeting with the Chinese students say, hey, I'm kind of different than you're used to. I want to hear your thoughts and opinions. I will never, you know, out of respect, I'll never just walk up and ask you in the middle of class. I'll ask the Americans first and then give you time to come up with your answer or your feedback and do it that way. Um, we do a lot of case studies, and I tell them that at least one case study, you're going to lead the case study. So uh, that, That's really interesting. So I, I want to dig a little bit deeper in that. So uh, now when you, at the end of the class, when you, do you gather the Chinese students separately with the other rest of the class population? After the first class, I bring in all the international students. Okay. Let them know my expectations and why this is a little bit different than they're used to. Okay. But you don't separate the Chinese students from the other. I I do at the after I said I'd like to talk to the Chinese students. Okay. But I do that just to add them on my WeChat. Okay. The fact that I'm adding them on WeChat and I'm showing them my Weibo, it seems to give them a little bit of credibility to at least understand their culture. Okay. And I think that starts us off on a really good foot. No, I absolutely. I, that, I mean, you know? when they see that an American professor is on WeChat and has a Weibo following, they're pleasantly surprised. And I have more followers than they do. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> so uh, it, it, it always, it, and a lot of times they'll send me messages that I, oh, I'm really excited about your class. And it's because we've made a connection yeah. that I do understand their culture and understand where they're coming from. And I've, you know, oriented the class so that, that they can succeed. They're not just, you know, pedestrian bystanders in this educational play that I'm doing with the Americans. They are actually part of the experience. Yeah, I want to dig deeper because one of the things that you just mentioned is, so obviously this is a classroom setting. So in Chinese culture, you're the professor. So at a hierarchical level, right. you you are obviously to be given the max amount of respect. But one of the things that business leaders uh, are frustrated with in China, and I hear this from a lot of people, uh, is that they don't feel they can get convinced the Chinese people to share their opinion. And basically in a classroom setting, maybe it's different. I wanted you to talk about how willing you think the Chinese students actually are to share their opinion, tell you what they thought of the class, uh, how honest do you think they are when when, when they're providing, or are they just providing you, you know, giving you face by saying, oh, we loved the class, it was great, um, and, and how has the way that they opened up to you changed over the course of the last three years? I'm, I'm assuming that the first time that you did it, say, tell me what you thought, it, it, they weren't as receptive as 
maybe after you've kind of softened your approach or changed how you do things? Well, how my approach has changed is I've learned more about Chinese culture. In the beginning, it was, I want you to talk, I want you to be part of the class. And that didn't work. And that didn't work. You know, the laptops went up and everybody was on WeChat. Yeah. But once I learned more about the culture, and I, I learned about, you know, when I meet with them now, I learn where they, where they come from. You know, if uh, students from Guangdong province, then typically they've seen more foreigners that had more of an of a intercultural experience more than maybe uh, from one of the northern provinces. So I want to find out where they're from, and then by proving to them that I understand their culture, by having my following on WeChat and, and Weibo, uh, they start to trust me a little bit more. But I'm, I'm as good as my word. I don't put them on the spot. I sometimes I'll I'll see them in the hall before class. Say, hey, I'm going to be talking about this today. Hopefully, you'll contribute. Mm -hmm. And it's just a level of trust you got to build. Just like in business, yeah. you know, you can read a book about China as a businessman and walk into a meeting, but it doesn't mean anybody's going to trust you. You you have to be you know have a high degree of empathy right. to understand you know what's this student? Why is this student here? Mm -hmm. Is this student here because they were passionate about coming to America and, and learning about this topic? Mm -hmm. Or are they here because their parents were passionate about them going to America to have this on their, on their resume? Right. And so and I, I need to meet them at their needs. And that's really important, having this empathy to understand you know, what's their plight. They're, they've been in a numerous classes all day. How can I reach out to them? Yeah, I think you just connected two really important concepts that I just want to highlight again for all the listeners. Uh, obviously, empathy is really important uh, in any multicultural environment, but for Americans dealing with Chinese, developing that level of empathy is really important to understand what they value and what they care about and why they're here. But you made another really, really important point because a lot of people will ask, well, how do you develop empathy? And you actually answered that question, in my opinion. Uh, you just... Basically, you have to be curious. And you just mentioned, I just loved how you were just mentioning how you're curious about them, where they're from. You ask them a lot of questions. And that has to be sincere. You can't just do it for, you know, just saying, okay, I need to pretend to be curious. You're genuinely curious. And I think that's helped you develop what we would call a closer level of guanxi with these Chinese students. And I do this to all my students because I actually run a Facebook group for my students. And I know a lot of instructors have done this and they, you know, accumulate 14 or 15 students over time. I have students in my group from 2004, from the very first class I ever taught at UC Riverside. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, uh, that all these students still want to come along for the ride with me after all these years, it's very gratifying and, and very humbling. Yeah, now your Facebook group is for all your students, not just the Chinese students. Right, right. Okay. Now, do you, do you have separate groups for Chinese students? Because I know you I'm do. I'm actually getting ready to launch a, a WeChat group for my students because I now have accumulated over the years enough Chinese students that to make it worthwhile. And, um, and so they can, they can renew their connections with me and with each other. I think they'll be very valuable. Okay. So, yeah, you've obviously really passionate about not working just with your Chinese students, but with all of your students, yes. engaging with all of them. But now you're starting to engage with a lot of projects related to China. Right. Uh, is that driven by more by opportunity or by your own kind of interest and passion in China? It's, it's been both because, you know, I am an expert on project management. And right now with, you know, the economy in China 
and uh, the growth in places like Shenzhen and, and Shanghai, project management is probably the superpower that you know Chinese business people need right now. Mm-hmm. It's this ability to take your plans and uh, and execute them effectively, and you know adherence to schedule and, and scope and such, but also to be able to meet the customer's needs and provide value. And that's what all project management is, is providing value. Mm-hmm. And and what about the opportunities now in China? Are you, uh, in, uh, you I think you mentioned, you know, when we we're just chatting that you have this opportunity to go to China to teach. Yes, uh, we're working on a new program that uh, I think is going to be very promising. But uh, I've, I've worked with several companies in China and helped them you know, understand American business because there's always seems to be this disconnect when Chinese and American companies try to collaborate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, lack of understanding of the culture and cross-cultural communication and such in the business environments. And I really try to facilitate the conversation so that both sides can get a lot of value out of this. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. So. Uh you know, when you help do that, and obviously you, you've developed a lot of experience doing that, working with so many international students and Chinese students and engaging with them and engaging with Chinese companies, uh, how much of that falls outside of project management and more into just, you know, business communications or business negotiations? I, I do have to bring in a lot of, uh, you know, the cross-cultural communication, understanding the culture, leadership. What's the difference between Chinese leadership and American leadership? You know, uh, who are the right people to talk to? I, you know, I crawl through their processes and to make sure I can find any areas that need to be, you know, addressed that maybe cause difficulty between the two groups. So there's a lot of project management but also a lot of you know the thought process, you know, looking at the project from the thirty thousand foot mark and saying, okay, what kind of cultural things are at play here? Who are the key opinion leaders? What are the constituencies? Who are the stakeholders? Who are impacted? How do we get them on board today and not wait till the end? You know those things. Yeah. Now, as far as the curriculum of the courses that you teach, now, how much are you responsible for actually developing or designing the curriculum? I wrote every class. You wrote every class. I wrote every class, and I can teach every class. Now, we have a really good uh, selection of teachers now that teach in our program, but... Um, but you actually developed all of the course materials. I wrote, the, I wrote the syllabi for every course. Okay. So, obviously, the way that you incorporated a lot of these international project manager or cross-cultural elements in, that's probably more... Of what you see is important in this yeah I wanted, I wanted all the classes to be uh, to work well together to kind of dovetail with each other right uh, I, I didn't want a program to where you know you had this style of project management taught and then this style taught and this style taught and students get out with their certificate and go well how do I get all this to work together so well, luckily we have a really good staff we're really good uh, you know teachers at UC Riverside where we we talk with each other and we uh, have the classes kind of work together. Mm. So you walk out with your certificate, but you understand how all the different pieces work. Now, are they getting a project management certificate? Yes. Okay. Specialized certificate, a professional certificate rather than project management. Oh, okay. And and how long does that generally take? Um, Two quarters, actually. Two quarters? If you're taking three quarters, if you're taking three classes a quarter, you can get it done in two quarters. Okay. And then, so basically, the students that are coming over from China, they're coming specifically for this certificate in project Many management? Many of them are, yes. Many of them are, okay. 
So let's talk a little bit of just more about your own kind of, obviously you've been thinking about it and you're passionate about this, but uh, what, in your opinion, are the biggest differences between uh, the, the Chinese culture and the Chinese mindset compared to like American students or German students? Or let's just not make it even students. Let's just make it people. Well, you mentioned it earlier about, you know, the, when they walk in the door, I'm the professor. I'm up here and they're down here. Mm-hmm. Where with American students, yeah, I may be the teacher, but they don't put me as high of a, high as a plane as uh, the Chinese would. So uh, there's a little bit more equality in the, in the relationship. And that's why I'm really trying to drive in my Chinese students to let them realize that, yes, I'm in this role right now as teacher. Hmm. But I'm accountable to them for the educational experience. Right. And they're accountable to me about getting, doing their best and getting as much out of this as possible. Right. And, and I think that really helps overcome the cultural element where, you know, big me, little student kind of thing. I don't want that at all. I want there to be uh, more of me as being a mentor. Hmm. And that's how I look at my, myself as a teacher. Is I'm really just a mentor. I've, I've done it. I've been there. Let me teach you how not to make the same mistakes I did in my career. Right. Uh, how many student, Chinese students would you estimate that you've taught over the last 15 or however how many years? Probably three or four hundred. Three or four hundred. Now, um, can you recall any instances where you um, kind of maybe had a confrontation or a disagreement or even an argument with a Chinese student. Has that ever happened? No, it has never happened. It has never happened. Uh, I am sure there's been situations they were been upset with me, but they would never really articulate that. So I have to, you know, I have to be very, very watchful of when I'm talking that I'm not losing somebody or if somebody is upset with me. And that's why it's so great to have WeChat because if I feel like a student didn't get something or we had a breakdown in communication, mm-hmm. I could always WeChat them later that evening mm-hmm. and they'll actually engage with me. WeChat's been a very, very good tool in that regard. Mm-hmm. So we can have sort of a, an off-channel communication. And um, because, you know, they're very, very seldom, but, you know, there's sometimes I feel like I didn't explain it well to them and I need to go back and, and explain it again. That's, wow, over 300 students and... You've never had like a like a more contentious engagement with any of them? No, not really. Okay. I'm very blessed in that. Now, there's been some challenges. Okay. Uh, for Can, example, yeah, you know... Yeah, talk about that. So, for example, in China, communi- you know, education, homework is a lot more collaborative. Mm-hmm. In America, homework is very individual. Mm-hmm. You know, Gene, you do your homework and you put your name at the top and it's your work and I don't want you to plagiarize and... I'm going to be putting it through a plagiarism checker to make sure you didn't pilfer it from Wikipedia <laughs> and uh, you do, you're doing your own original work. Mm-hmm. But in China, it's very acceptable for groups of people to put together the work and then they all turn in the same thing. So that's always a challenge. So I that's a, happened. Yeah, oh yes. I was starting to get groups and they would hand me you know, the same work. And I'm thinking, well, this is, they're not even being artful about disguising it from me. But when I... <laughs> But instead of, you know, just giving them an F, I went and chatted with them. Oh, professor in our classes back at our university, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. And I did a little checking and talked to, you know, some uh, 
you know, Chinese scholars at the university, and indeed, that's exactly what they did. So, um, so now I tell them, you know, in the beginning, I'm, um, I know you're used to collaborating, but I want to see your original work because I want to see how you think and what how you would apply what you know to this assignment. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's worked out a lot better that way. Okay, so you're getting less of that. Yes, yes. Or at least they're they're being more artful about it if they are. Possibly, but I think a lot of times when you when you turn them loose, when you say, "Look, I, I want to know what your perspective is, not your schools, your classmates." Um, and I do several assignments like that. I do discussion assignments where they have to give me original work. It's really worked out well because they get to use their English writing ability, which is very, very strong, I found in China. And uh, they have a very unique perspective. And in reading the discussion assignments from other students, they learn about uh, the differences in the cultures. I think it's been very beneficial for them. Yeah, so the students who come for the um, the sort of the project management certificate. Do they also have to pass like the TOEFL, the test of English as a yes. foreign language? Yes. You have to score high before you even get accepted at UC Riverside. Okay. Do they have to take like GRE or anything like that? No, but they do have to score a certain number on the TOEFL. Okay. Um, let me ask you this, because my father, he's retired now, but he was a professor of physics at Georgia State University. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm curious. Have you ever? had a student or a Chinese student come with you with a disagreement about a way that he was great he or she was graded I've had students come to me ask me why I graded a certain way okay and you know being a project management class it's uh, it's not like you know grading an English composition right. where it's all very very subjective right right I, I have a you know, I, get, I let them know in the beginning of the first class, this is how I grade things. This mm -hmm. is what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And so there's not a lot of disagreement, mainly because everybody knows in advance what my what my criteria is going to be. Mm -hmm. Now, they may ask me how they can get better grades, mm -hmm. how they can write it differently, and I'm happy to sit down and talk to them about that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, so that's, uh, you know, I really like the way that you know, I think there's a lot of lessons for people to learn in doing business because your attitude and your approach really uh, kind of opens the door and paves the way for people to, to, to engage with you more and be more collaborative. I had to do this, Gene, because yeah. it was hurting them. Yeah. Because this is what was happening. They, they come from China, and I have the greatest respect for my Chinese students because, you know, they're leaving the comfort of their homes. They're coming to a place where... They, in order to pass the, you know, the Gaokao, they had to know English, but that doesn't mean they've had, you know, rich English conversations with people, right? Yeah. You know, maybe if they were lucky, their school had an English corner, and they were able to, you know, practice with somebody, but most of their spoken English has been with each other, and um, so it's hard to be thrust in this very dynamic educational environment where you're having a talk all the time and I really feel for them. But what was happening is they were coming, sitting in the corner and uh, tuning out. Mm. A lot of my work in my classes is online so they would do it at their leisure but they would tune out of the, of the lectures and they were really engaging the people and it was hurting me because I know that they can use their American education as a differentiator. Right. They go back and they realize that, okay, they got a master's degree and they got these certificates, but there's a lot of competition for jobs in China. Yeah. How do they set themselves apart? And a lot of companies will go, oh, wow, you, you went to America and you studied there. 
we're looking at developing stronger ties with America. What contacts did you make there? Mm. And they didn't have any because they sat in the corner with their laptop. Mm. So I compelled them to, you know, just a little bit of how I structure the class to make contacts. And so when they go back to China, they can reach out to Americans in business here mm. that they can, they can leverage. Now, do most of the students plan on going back to China immediately? or uh, It's been my experience that a lot of them want to stay and work here. Yes, some do stay. They, they're allowed to you know, have an internship and a one-year, what they call you know, optional training. That's one year long. A lot of them, though, are in their junior year. So they go back and take their senior year, and then they look at coming back for their master's degree. I've had a lot of students come back for their master's degree mm-hmm. after the been through this program because they understand now the Western lifestyle and the Western way of education. Yeah. One of the things, you know, so my father obviously taught a lot of students over his career as a professor. Um, and he still keeps in touch with a lot of his students like you've done on your Facebook. Uh, how many of the former students like from 10 years ago who are now back in China are you now... Are you still connected with them where you can now start talking to them about business opportunities and collaborating and working together? Yes, uh, I, I got, I'm very active on WeChat. I'm probably more active on WeChat than I am Facebook, it seems. But <laughs> I'm always talking to my students. Uh, my students share their victories with me and, uh, and other successes. And I see the marriages and births of children. And you know, I feel like I'm a part of the family. Yeah. And so they know that they can, if they have a, a question, they can always write me. And a lot of times they'll have, you know, business, uh, you know, business questions I'll have to answer. But a lot of times they've followed their dreams, which is the most important thing of all. They've followed their dreams and they felt like to, at some extent I've empowered them to do so. Mm. And that's really the most exciting and most rewarding messages I get on WeChat is when someone says, you know, you inspire me to do something mm. that they normally weren't going to do. Right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the, your, your leadership course and the Chinese students in that. So I'm assuming that in that course, a lot of times people have to get on stage and present something. Is that? No. They don't? No. No, that's your conventional leadership class, okay. right? But I feel like uh, in all the other courses that they take, they have plenty of opportunities to do presentations. Okay. And uh, what I want them is, I'm taking my students on a transformational experience. Okay. Because leadership, most of the leadership classes I've taken, I don't know about you, you go in, you learn somebody's style of leadership, and you learn how to hold a meeting, and I'm pretty meeting adverse, but you learn how to hold meetings and how to counsel employees and give them positive and negative feedback. That's not really leadership. That's managership, you know, maintaining the status quo. Mm -hmm. I want them to understand who they are first. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't know what your strengths are, Mm-hmm. If you don't have a grasp of what your own innate leadership style is, mm-hmm. how can you leverage that for your own success? Mm-hmm. So what I teach are things that I think you teach. You know, I teach uh, you know, communication. I teach uh, understanding culture. I teach empowerment. Mm-hmm. I teach being an authentic leader. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. How to stay away from biases. Mm-hmm. And so I take them as, on this transformational journey where they have to learn their leadership style mm-hmm. and they learn what their you know their Myers-Briggs typology is you know what is their personality and they have to conduct a SWOT analysis strengths weaknesses opportunities and threats on themselves mm-hmm. and what they do is they learn about themselves mm-hmm. 
And then they put together their own leadership plan for the next two to five years about what they're going to do next, what are going to be their goals, mm. what will be the milestones, how will they know that you know, they've reached success. Mm. And that is really what I want to teach. Because if you can do that with yourself, you can do that with a team, you can do that with a company. So how the mentality of leadership in China, obviously with the very traditional hierarchical state-owned enterprise uh, command mentality where leaders just basically tell their subordinates what to do, it's a very hierarchical organization and the leadership that you're teaching is how do you lead in a flatter organization? Right. How do you lead when people don't actually report to you? Uh, how do you, what's the difference in the way that the Chinese actually respond to that type of leadership? They are understanding that China is changing. There is a new China and it's, and you know, in the next, ten, you know, two to five years, China is going to go away from, well, I hope it will go away from this being the, the manufacturer for the world. And they're going to be the innovators. And you're seeing this in Shenzhen and places in China where, where companies are developing new products and new services and, and very innovative things that even the West is starting to copy. Mm -hmm. And so the companies that are innovators, they can't rely on the typical hierarchical structure. They're going to have to be flat because that's what drives creativity. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that uh, in, in a small way that my classes are are training the next leaders of China to understand how to navigate that type of environment. Yeah, no, that's perfect because obviously it's easier for young people to accept new paradigms. Right. Uh, and when you're students and you're and you're and you're not fixed in your ways, and you understand the trend of China's ascension on the global stage and being a global leader right. in, in a lot of areas, then obviously you want to learn global leadership qualities right. whether it's soft skills or or, or or whatever or even having a higher EQ or whatever um, that's great for the younger generation what is your experience with kind of older Chinese business people do typically, you have, do you have typically they're locked in you know the, the old style of leadership got them to where they are today right and so they're a little bit uh, risk adverse at looking at other ways now there are some I've talked to a lot of leaders that have realized themselves that things have got to change if they're going to get to that next level. Mm. And I really respect them. But there's still a lot of them that are like, my old way has gotten me here, and this is what's going to keep me here. And so I understand that. That's perfectly valid. But as things begin to you know, change in China, and, uh, and everything is changing in China, it's just an incredible success story in China right now. Uh, more and more leaders need to be able to have an adaptive style mm. and be able to draw on the experience and the strengths of their people. Mm. And to do that requires a different kind of leadership, an empowerment that may not uh, have existed in China 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, so is there a solution or anything that the university is doing or you personally that's doing that's helping the, not the new leaders of the future, which obviously you're doing through education, but the current leaders, like the ones in their 50s or 40s that aren't going back to school, but they need to also adapt to a changing geopolitical landscape. This is a great opportunity for me, Gene, if I can somehow reach those leaders. Uh, and right now, like you said, they don't go to school, so they're not gonna magically appear in my classroom. I know I need to go to them, and I uh, hope I have the opportunity to do so. But I think a lot of you know a lot of these uh, 
leaders that are actually looking for a new way, I think we have a good solution. It's like I tell my students, you know, treat their time in America like a cafeteria. Mm. Find the things that are good and uh, take back with you and, and adapt them to the Chinese culture. Everything has to be adaptive culture. Culture drives everything. Mm. I say in my class, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? <laughs> you got to make sure that, you know, everything fits the culture. But take what you can from the American experience, bring it back to China, adapt it to the culture, and, uh, and see what you can do with it. Mm. I think this is something that, 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 we, that we can talk about offline, about some of those opportunities in China, and, and there are a lot, so we'll, we'll talk about that. How is your Chinese now? On my language? Yeah. It is a work in progress, my friend. Uh, <laughs> Every time I speak Chinese to my students, they, they immediately convert to English because it's probably painful to them. It, it, <laughs> you know, the tonal aspect of the language has been difficult, but uh, this fall I'm going to a little bit more of an intensive training, and, and my goal is I'm going to be fluent in two years. Oh, okay. Um, just now hold me accountable to that. In two years, have me back on your show and I'll see if I can speak uh, passable Chinese. Well, we can actually... Do the show in Chinese next time if you want. Fantastic. That may, de- <laughs> that may delay the next time I see you. And, uh, hope, hope you have the good holidays. Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, that's that's definitely something that uh, I think is worth exploring. So I think you've touched on a lot of needs that 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 China needs. They need global leaders, the people who who don't think so traditionally. Right. Um, there actually are. Uh, a significant percentage of Chinese leaders, I'm just talking about anywhere from 30 to 50, even 60 years old, who actually do recognize this need. And the reason that I know this is because uh, Hong Kong University offers kind of this, it's a certificate program, but it's like, it's like a 15-month program where Chinese executives register. It's almost like an executive MBA, but it's not accredited as an MBA. And it's really, really popular. And and either their local companies pay for the students to go or they just pay out of their own pocket because they recognize the need to actually develop these kind of global leadership skills. Um, the The things that you're talking about, there are modules for that. And I'm sure the way that you do it would be really attractive to a large audience in China. So, But in a some way, if you think about it, Gene, this is also a problem. Because we have Chinese leaders trying to learn the American way. Why aren't American leaders learning the Chinese way? It's I mean, there, there's, there is a lot that goes on in China. The, the, the Chinese mindset, the Chinese way of doing business, there's a lot that we can learn in America. I mean, you got to love a country that's got a tomb-sweeping day, right? Yeah, so you know, I, I mean, I mean, we, we, there's a lot for the Chinese culture that we can bring into our own enterprises here. Well, I look at everything as instead of looking at it as a problem, I look at it as an opportunity. So I think another way of saying what you're saying is there's an opportunity for more, even more global business between America and China. Exactly. It's already the two largest economies. They're already doing a lot of business together, but there's always opportunities for more. But there's opportunities not just at the country level or the macro level, but there's opportunities for leaders at the individual level if they understand how to navigate the other 
the other culture. We, we need to put Chinese leaders and American leaders together. Not so much the CEOs, because they always talk, but uh, you know, middle-level managers, uh, middle-level leaders, get, get them together so they can understand each other better and, and, and learn from each other. Right. You know, political trade wins and such, you know, you know, those things are always gonna be there. But let's get people together and get them talking. Well, that's obviously also kind of like at, at, at a macro level. I'm just saying that the thing that you just pointed out, Chinese people are very aggressive in learning how to do business outside of China. Chinese people are, are really proactive in developing their global or more Western style leadership abilities and skills. And the question that you just asked, American leaders should also be more proactively improving their understanding of how to do business in right. China. And that's where, that's actually the opportunity that I'm doing. Or, or one more step yeah. is learn how to take success stories and aspects of Chinese culture and learn how to apply it in America because it works. It because does. This is just human dynamics we're talking about. And there's a lot of things in China that would actually work and, and better things here in America. I, I think the most... Uh, the, the most common example of that is, you know, the thousand-year-old art of war. Yes. Right? So the art of war now has been translated not just into English, but it's been translated and repurposed into art of war for sales, art of war for strategy. And a lot of business leaders now have to, will read the art of war and see how they can apply it to, you know, beating their competitors. Right. right? Because everything's a, is kind of like a competitive landscape and the art of war strategies really work. It's just interesting, you know, I did uh, my negotiations Mindset for China Business webinar yesterday and we and we talked about the art of war and in, in negotiations when you're negotiating with Chinese people they don't employ art of war tactics because they've learned them, but they employ art of war tactics because it's embedded in their culture. Right. That's just how they think exactly. and how they behave. So exactly. as, as a foreigner, if you don't really understand how that mindset works, then you just create a lot of disadvantages for yourself. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So uh, there's a like you said, there's a great opportunity, great opportunity, and uh, I think there's a, there's a lot I fall in love with in the Chinese culture mm -hmm. that I really appreciate, and I'd like to kind of see, you know, Americans adopt to a certain extent. Yeah. So as we wrap this up, let, let's let's uh, wrap this up by uh, a couple a couple things. Why don't you share? With our audience, so what's next for Michael uh, as far as China, China business? Uh, what's next for you over the next five to ten years? Well, I'm actively building my uh, my platform in China. So uh, I have a very active Weibo platform, um, uh, thousands and thousands of followers, I'm, uh, venturing more and more into WeChat. I, I want to be a voice in China that's trusted, that represents, you know, not just America, but represents uh, you know my belief in the new style of Chinese leadership and, and where China is going as a country. Um, I want to uh, I want to travel more in China, meet more people, find out what kind of value I can provide to companies and to people, and check in with my students to see how they're doing. Um, but I think uh, if you're in China, you're going to see me a lot more often. <laughs> All right, and why don't you leave our audience? You know, you've obviously. Uh, you've obviously made a lot of tremendous strides that most Americans can't make as far as building relationships with Chinese, communicating effectively, 
developing Guanxi relationships. I mean, the fact that you know you have not had one single contentious discussion with any of your students, I think, is any of my Chinese students. Any of your Chinese students is, is <laughs> the Americans, on the other hand, yeah, is is quite phenomenal. So, you know, what's kind of if you just gave like one general tip or advice for people who are doing business in China, kind of, what would you suggest that they really focus on to do your homework? Okay. Don't just understand the the business environment. Understand the cultural environment. You got to do more to prepare than eat a Panda Express, right? You got to <laughs> get into some books. Look, you know, meet people. Find out what the culture is all about. You know, it's famous in China of having American tourists show up on a tour bus at the stay at their American hotel. You know, eat the American menu and have an American tour guide take them around town. They've left China. What do they see? What they really experience. Right. So you got to take that one extra step to understand the culture. Go a couple of days early before your meeting. Meet people, right? Read. There's a lot of great books out there about Chinese culture. You know, if you have to read a Journey to the West. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so. Okay. Well, th that's all. Uh, that's all great insights. I just want to. Thank you for coming. I know you drove a long way from Palm Springs to get here. Um, you know, this was a very, very delightful conversation. I think we all learned a lot about how we can build more bridges to communicate effectively with Chinese people. Thank you. Enjoyed being here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. All right. All right.